Kilroy, bring that crazy old boy in here. Right away, Sheriff. Like sometime today. It's all right, Kilroy. No need to push. Oh, hello, Sheriff Bull. Are you going to let me go yet? You have kept me here for a week now, you know. Well, you just might be in luck. Your sweet old mammers here, boy. Oh, God, really? I... Oh, I see. Ah, oh, well done, Marina. Um, yes, uh, hello, Mother. Uh, Mother, this is Sheriff Bull. Sheriff Bull, Mother. Speak to me. Oh, she's, um, she's, she's, she's got a sore throat, actually, at the moment. She's lost her voice, you know. Now, you put me in mind of someone. I say, Sheriff, um, by way of thanks for putting me up in one of your cells for a week, how about I ask you to press the button on the randomizer for me today? Right. Oh, I wonder how likely it is we'll land on an episode from a series we haven't yet seen come up. <laughs> about as likely as a snowball in the Arizona desert. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, you're correct, Sheriff. Um, not that I'm complaining, of course. We're back with Joe 90 today for... Oh, excuse us, Sheriff. We'll just be on our way now. After all, three's a crowd, you know. Well, here we are, back with Joe 90, and uh, oh, we're back at the fortress um, via some reused, well, I guess, footage that was shot for this episode. No, for that episode and then later dropped into this one, leading into the most grim moment, not only of this show, but I think of any of the, the Super Mario Nation shows. This execution scene where this poor Commodore, uh, Commodore Goddard puppet is, uh, is pegged out on a stake in a firing range, about to be shot. Firing squad, at the lady. Take aim, fire! And, I mean, we see pretty much everything except the blood. If you work for me, success is amply rewarded. But fail and you will suffer the same fate as the wretch you have just seen executed. Oh, I, I just adore that opening. It is so dark. It is so violent. It is the last thing you expect to see in a children's show. And... I, I think it's Gary Files playing that that general. He is he's put so much venom into that last line that fail and you will suffer the same fate as the rich you have just seen executed. I love the venom there. Oh, and it's it's just like I think I've said this before. Exhibit A for anybody who says, oh, it's a kiddie show because he's got a kid in it. It's like. It's like even the even the show knows that's a criticism, so it comes out the bat, bat comes out to bat swinging in this episode. It's like, come on then, come on then, let's throw an execution scene at you. Oh, brilliant! And of course, after the opening titles, uh, we now cut to this scene in Max Cottage, and we spend a lot of time in Max Cottage in this episode, probably more than any other episode of the show. In fact. Again, it's that wonderful sort of contrast, the ultra-grim, ultra-violent uh, pre-title sequence. And now suddenly we're back in this nice cosy cottage for a, a charming little romantic story. It's like... It's just... It's amazing to think that these are both elements of the same world, this incredible cruelty at the start and then this lovely sort of homeliness and cosy cottage stuff. 
I've said this before, I've said this so many times about Joe, but I just find it all so charming. 25. Yes, that must seem pretty old to you, Joe. That's another another charming moment. Oh, as we pan to the uh, smiley face clock, uh, as seen in uh, Treble Cross and various other episodes of Captain Scarlet. Sure, our readers will be surprised and pleased to hear that this cottage is over 150 years old. That's that's a very odd line, isn't it? Surprised and pleased. I know um, Americans can get excited about uh, sort of Britishness uh, to a perhaps unnecessary degree, but. Surprised? I'm su I'm not only surprised that this cottage is so old, I'm excited. Was that the word? I've already forgotten what was said. Surprised and pleased, that was it. I'm pleased that the cottage is over 150 years old. Would they really be pleased? I don't know. Sweet boy. Good tea. Nice house. I, I actually waffled over another of my sort of favourite odd lines in this episode of um, what's what's Mac's favourite colour? Oh, you always said you liked blue, Dad. What sort of conversations are Joe and his, his dad having that Mac is always saying that he likes blue? Yes, in fact, I disagree with practically everything you said. Oh, you disagree? Yes. You, you don't like the colour blue. Get out of my house, heathen! Davis, uh, come sit down. No, Mac doesn't pave like that. In fact, she's uh, she's piqued his curiosity. But Joe is not happy. Here's the report on the Coburn affair, sir. Good. Well, I'll it, just uh, kind of drunkenly it dump it on your desk, rat, sir. Uh, about this trip. Uh, yes, sir. I should be away about two weeks. So Shane Weston is holding a, uh, oh, yes, a what I guess is meant to be a, a letter opener, but he's just holding it directly at Sam. It's it looks very sharp, possibly very dangerous. See you in a couple of weeks. But this is a lovely shot of uh, I don't know how they would have worked that, but as the camera pans over to Shane Weston, his notebook opens as if he's opened it, but obviously the puppet wouldn't have opened it. I, I guess it's operated by a wire, but it's very well hidden. It's very it's another wonderful little subtle touch in bringing these puppets to life. So Joe has been left all alone while his father goes out on a date. And that, right there, that single shot is the introduction of Mrs. Harris. No explanation as to who she is. She is just suddenly there, sat in the corner of the room for one shot. And... I know she's a very minor part of the series and even this episode, but just that that one shot is so odd that you know there's a there's a lady here we don't know who she is or why. Uh, well, Joe, I wonder if you'll understand. Again, it's it, this scene and so much of this episode highlights the emotional maturity of this show that that Mac is considering the fact that. Joe might have feelings if his father gets involved with uh, with Angela Davis. Tuesday, the opera. Thursday was a lecture, but supper afterwards. What a thing to come back to. I love this part of the episode as well. It's like, Professor McLean is having a good time. He, he possibly might have found happiness. Oh, this hugely inconveniences our operations at WIN. We are going to have to do something about this. This man who's uh, supposedly... Sam Luver's friend, he's, he's, he, he cannot be allowed to enjoy himself. This is just not acceptable. And of, of course, ultimately, you know, their concerns are proven justified. But it again, it does speak to that sort of element that WIN seem to Hi, Mac. 
assume they have the prerogative to just interfere with Joe and Mac's lives whenever they feel like it. Very sinister, but uh, in a darkly amusing way. I don't like her. She's too smooth. Yes, I'm beginning to have my suspicions about Miss Davis. I mean, I've never you know met when her or anything, her again. the mere fact of her existence, that sets alarm bells ringing with me, Joe. I'm glad you can substantiate my absurd conspiracy theories with a hard fact, Joe. It makes me feel better about betraying my best friend and potentially ruining his life. Thanks, Joe. There's still so much. And of course, what do you do when you suspect a woman who, at this point, hasn't actually done anything wrong, even though she is a baddie? Um, what do you do about this woman you're suspicious about? You record her brain without her consent. Of course, it's just what you do. Oh, I love this show. I love how grim this is. And you would think as well that... Um, Mac might have some sort of alarm for when the Big Rat is in operation without his knowledge. Blast! What's wrong, Mac? Oh, nothing. It's it's just that I promised to take Joe fishing this afternoon. I forgot all about it. Oh, never mind. Joe's a sweet. Wait, weren't you at the? Weren't you down at the bay or? Where was that scene actually, where you were sitting by the water? Did you just? I mean, I suppose they're meant to imply that. Mac forgot to take Joe fishing because he was he was busy, he was distracted with Angela, but no, we saw him just sat on the shoreline just reading a book. That's odd. I've never realised that before. Now let's try and find out what's going on. Okay, Uncle Sam. I'm ready. I wonder how far this would have gone on for if it had turned out that Angela Davies was actually completely innocent. Would Sam and, and Shane have just taken it when Joe said that she's not hiding anything. Because remember, they're giving Joe Angela's brain pattern to find out what her evil plan is. As we've seen in Double Agent, the brain pattern transfer, he sometimes acquires more than just the knowledge and experience. What if he, what if he received her desire to keep her plans secret and said, no, Uncle Sam, she's not doing anything? And Sam and Shane then just had to accept that, but actually she was doing something naughty. Conversely, what if, well, as I said, if there was no evil plan, how else, how, how much further would Sam and Shane go in just okay. ruining Mac's life? This entire sequence of uh, Joe recounting Angela's plan to Sam, I don't feel that this... Uh, is perhaps as well presented as it could be because we know going in that it's not real we know going in that it's hypothetical and it goes on for such a long time it's sort of bordering on when we get to the end of it it's bordering on sort of dream episode why why on earth did we spend so much time with this ness um i i don't think this needs to be anywhere near as long as it is, um, I'm wondering if maybe it's the episode is slightly underrunning, and this is a a handy spot to sort of pad it out a little bit with some sneaking around in the uh, in the dark. And of course, you don't have to write any dialogue for this. I thought I saw a light upstairs in the cottage. I didn't see anything. Relax. 
See, again, that is an odd detail. So, Uncle Sam, I'm... I'm imagining that while Angela is down in the basement drilling a hole in the safe, one of the baddies will think he sees a light coming on upstairs in the cottage. But he won't. He will be mistaken. Well, thank you, Joe. That's a thrilling addition to the story. I, I just think, yeah, that is a really obvious example of, of padding in this whole sequence. Although we just, we just got a nice pan from the safe where Angela's wired the explosives to... Uh, it panned across the floor and came to her feet. I just noticed we we rarely see. Uh, oh, she's got the big rat master drawings and circuit diagrams. Uh, we rarely see puppet shoes, and she's wearing a a, a pair of tiny high heels. I, I just think wrong. it's so so wonderful when you see moments in this show where it's it's an everyday item that's had to be specially produced in miniature. Same within the cottage earlier, there were these sets of um, sort of head-shaped mugs with a, a nice shiny finish, like you would get on, on such mugs in real life. Beautiful attention to detail in these shows. So, Joe, the, uh, how exactly are the baddies going to get back home? Well, Uncle Sam, they're going to catch a World Air Airways AV-21. But, uh, Joe, isn't that the same plane that you were messing around with in Splashdown? Yes, that's right, Uncle Sam. And now it's changed to a CV-9, Siranian Airways. But, Joe, uh, why are you telling me all this? How is this relevant to the story? Couldn't this be over by now? No, Uncle Sam, I must tell you every single scintillating detail. Do you want to know what seat numbers they've got on the flight? No, no. Again, just say she's going to rob the safe and give it to some bad guys. Okay. And now the plane's landed at the other end, and it's AV-21 World Airways again. That was, I think, a common uh, production goof in, in early episodes of Joe 90. They would never keep those two planes separate. They would always mix up those shots. The usual arrangements. Gold. Gold. Some people will do anything for it. And again, that's a very odd place to stop the story. It's like, how are they going to pay the baddies? Oh, they're going to pay them in gold. Ah, that's a good point to end the story. I was just looking there, though. Um, the General's Fortress House, uh, the interior, I think the same set appeared in uh, International Concerto as well, but it looks very much like Lady Penelope's house, the wallpaper. You could almost imagine that the General would get up and ring for Parker. Break his heart. Yes. Look. Yes, I, I, I don't see your problem with this, Joe. It's what I was planning to do anyway. You've got your chance. But if you cock it up, I am wreaking emotional devastation like you wouldn't believe. Remember the jungle? The waiting in the courtyard? No. The sound of the firing squad? Failure cannot be tolerated. Stop. All right. Oh, I love that, that confrontation between Joe and Angela. Um, I noticed, actually, that Joe seems to have a streak of gold running through the top of his head. Um, but, yeah, I just love how creepy and sinister he comes off there. Uh, and Sylvia, as well, does a really good job in... in this is the hardest decision I've, I've ever In this make. whole episode, I think, actually. It's, You're so sweet. I could believe that this episode was written specifically to give her something to do, because although she plays Mrs. Harris and various other female guest roles, she never really gets anything meaty to do in this show. You're happy here with Joe. But Angela is, um, is a good character, because she's, she's so multifaceted. She is pretending to be nice, but she's also the baddie and... Uh, yeah, I love that showdown between her and Joe, especially the way it's directed. The 
as it gets more and more intense, the camera angles are tilting, and uh, and then she hears the wonderful sounds of the uh, the guns. Thank you. I'll drive you to the station. And Angela leaves Max's life forever on the transcontinental rocket train from uh, Brink of Disaster, in fact, from Thunderbirds. Again, we have all this footage. We may as well reuse it. I'm Sam Louver, World Intelligence. Look, I don't want a bodyguard. It will only attract attention. Please leave me alone. I'm here to arrest you. That is another moment that I don't understand in this episode. She's a baddie. She's leaving on the, on the train, presumably to... I don't know, either she's going to go home, which I don't think she would do, or she's going to go and hide. Why does she think that a government agency is going to provide her with a bodyguard? Wouldn't she be sort of, oh my god, World Intelligence Network, I, ah, oh, ah, panic. Well, I've learned over the years to judge people. And I'm glad my instinct... <laughs> I leap to conclusions at uh, the, the earliest possible opportunity, Joe. I judge people without, uh, without giving them a moment to prove themselves. Put another log on a fire, Joe. The episode that opened with the most violent, brutal scene in the show's history ends with perhaps the coziest, with another log being put on the roaring fire. Anyway, that was Three's a Crowd. Uh, despite the fact that not much happens in it, I've always had a soft spot for this one. I hope that it's uh, it's one that more of you are familiar with now, having perhaps seen it more recently on the... Uh, the wonderful new Blu-ray. That opening sequence is is really something special. I don't think that the rest of the episode necessarily lives up to it, but you do have that sense of that looming threat over Angela Davis because she was watching that execution right at the front of the episode. She knows what's going to happen to her if she messes up, which in a way kind of makes her sympathetic as well because although she's a baddie, Although she's out to get Max secrets, and we don't want her to succeed in doing that, we also know that if she doesn't get away with it, she's going to be pegged out and shot at. Oh. Well, Angela Davies has gone from Max's life. She will not be getting shot at. She's probably locked away in, in prison somewhere. Much to Sam Louver and Shane Weston's glee, I'm sure. And Joe 90 as always brings me a lot of glee. Bye bye.